has us in the house tonight Don't you walk out that door Unless it's to the corner It's been a break. It's been my first time I've taken this long off um, since I started the podcast. And the reason is coronavirus. <laughs> no, seriously. Seriously, the reason is actually coronavirus. Uh, I was diagnosed positive with COVID-19. You know, I'm out of breath right now. <laughs> I'm out of breath because... Uh, Like seven minutes ago or so, I walked down the stairs to, I mean, I maybe ran and I did twerk a little bit when I got to the bottom because we're having margaritas later today and I'm just excited about being out of isolation, but it wasn't a lot of twerking. It was seriously very minimal. Ran downstairs, did a little dance, ran back upstairs. I went downstairs to get my headphones and I came back up and I'm still out of breath. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm being humorous about it, but it's like, it's not, it's not funny, but it could be worse. You know, I think that's the, it's, it's upsetting, but it could be worse. So before I get into my personal business, which is what happens every week on this podcast, I should introduce myself. For those of you who are new listeners, I am Kalechi Azie, actress, singer, writer. Uh, this is Cake and Kombucha. And Cake and Kombucha is a weekly podcast that goes into current events, pop culture, what's going on in the world, what's getting my goat, getting my knickers all in a kerfluffle, and um, things that are funny and fun. What I thought I'd do is tell you firsthand what my experience has been like with COVID-19. I feel like there is an excess of information on how to make... I feel like it's that in that video that BBC, the guy who was on the BBC interview whose kids interrupted. My sister-in-law's cat just burst in here like it was a grown man. (laughs) Opened my door. And I'm super out of breath because I took him downstairs and came back up here. And you know what? I'm just keeping it real. In a perfectionist world, I would stop recording and wait till I could breathe all the way again. But I'm not because I do want to share my story of COVID and what it's really like. So where to begin? Um, In New York City, where I reside, uh, things started to shut down around May 4th, I mean March 14th-ish, a little before then. We were working from home. We weren't going anywhere if we didn't have to. Uh, We celebrated my older sister's birthday at home. It was still a time when people could go out to restaurants. And we have an epic birthday brunch celebration tradition for my older sister that usually ends up with her crew of friends. We, when you're hanging out with them, it's like <laughs> you go to brunch at noon and then you stay a long time and get drunk. Then you go to a different restaurant and have appetizers. Then you go to dinner. And so you're out at least 12 hours. I think one of the crew told her new boyfriend she had brunch and she'd be out for 12 hours. And he was like, uh, okay. Like he didn't know that she was really serious, <laughs> but it 
it's just like this, it's a, you know, New York brunch is already a religion anyway. So it was awkward because we were walking around and we didn't know, you know, we saw people still out on the 14th, but we didn't know. We were like, we did our part by canceling, but it was just, everything was unclear. There were a few little things that weren't open, not that much. We did kind of like a long, slow walk around Bed-Stuy. We live in the Bed-Stuy Bushwick border. Lots of cute shops, restaurants, bars, etc. So, right as I am figuring out what I'm going to do with my quarantine time and feeling kind of weird, like I looked at my journal and it was like, I was making lists of things I had to do, like projects and um, trying to figure out how I could do a little bit that was productive every day while still I was very, very scared. I've lost a lot of important people in my life before, my father, things like that. And times like this bring up grief. Uh, You miss people who were... I mean, and this is just one way grief can manifest. I was dealing with very... like. very strong having dreams and think and having people that died a long time ago, but were the most like formative people in my life. I'm just vacillating between being like, I wish they were here and kind of glad they're not here to deal with this bullshit, but I could really use the guidance right now. I could really use the feeling of safety. I am an empath. I, worry a lot and I have obsessive tendencies anyways, which can be very good in terms of efficiency and uh, being type A and like getting certain things done, but it can drive you crazy. That combination is very damaging in other ways because you're just going to spend a lot of time thinking about stuff that you can't really control. Like, hey, I know this whole response to this pandemic is being bungled. I knew it because I listened to the news and I had been hearing about it from you know, December, that this was something that was happening, which we'll get to that later. So yeah, so there's a feeling of a loss of control. So I'm dealing with all those things. And do you know that I didn't think all my list of worries was not even whether I was going to get sick. I think I heard, um, you know, I, I started to hear some stuff about, like, when you're hospitalized, you can't see your family. And I, that sounded really fucked up to me, especially because I'm a controlling person. I'm just, like, a situation in which I can't, like, talk my way into something is more is alarming to me. <laughs> so I was like, no. And I think I said something really dramatic to my sister, like, don't let me die alone. That's all I ask. But other than that, I wasn't really worried about myself. I was more worried about my mom and things like that. Um, My mom pulled a power play, tried to get me and my brother to drive down to North Carolina and stay with her. And I was like, no, I'm not possibly bringing anything I have down here to you. And that's the end of the conversation. Now, if you're from a black family, then you might know that it doesn't exactly work the way you think it might as an adult saying that you do want to do things you don't want to. It's not always... It's not always just the end of it, as it might be in other cultures. Um, So, you know, she's trying to convince me. I'm convincing her. She says I can quarantine in the basement when I get to her house. I'm like, no, 
especially because you're she's a doctor uh she she's not on the front lines right now she's doing working behind the scenes and in clinical trials actually but i'm like i could see you dropping off my groceries getting a little closer getting a little closer every day and if i really got sick you would come down there like you would you don't you don't follow rules none of us follow rules it's how it's race so it's just like no and um sure enough Two days later, I started to feel achy, and I had a headache, which is unusual. I don't really get headaches unless I'm, like, run a marathon and didn't drink water. Like, I have to be really dehydrated. I just, and it's, I, it was that type of headache. You just know. You know when something's off with your body, you know? As a woman, you know, you have your menstrual cycle. You have some things that you expect to feel pain about. Men, yeah, you don't know nothing about like just having regular extreme discomfort once a month and a whole host of symptoms that you can. I know people that didn't think they were sick from coronavirus because they're like, oh, I'm having chest pain, but my breasts usually hurt during this time of the month. I mean, what a cross section of like a lack of public health and just like being a woman, right? Like we can't get tested. So we're trying to figure out what it is. But you also know that you just have some general things that cause you pain. Now, I have not been exercising, really, because I just had a very badly sprained ankle. So I was like, okay, this is weird. But again, I'm not going to say it's coronavirus. I just never, I wasn't worried about myself. Like, I was worried about material things and employment and how am I going to come out of the other side with all the things that I need to have so that I can be, like, at the top of the line, you know, top choice for casting directors. And like, I, I was moved, supposed to be in LA already. I was moving to LA for April. I was thinking about all these other things. Right. So when I get sick, I just, I mean, I, I, I have a practical side too. If it, if it sounds like I'm all crazy, I do. So I, I, while I wasn't planning on it, I immediately knew it was coronavirus because I just, I don't get sick with shit that's I just don't get sick like that. You know what I mean? Like I haven't had a fever since like college when I had mono. So the next day I have a fever. I can feel it. I'm really missing my dad more and more because he specifically one memory that stays with me is he would test you with his hand. He could always tell if you had a fever with um, his hand. And like I said, my mom was a doctor, but the first line of defense is, if dad's hand says you don't have a fever we're not gonna do any more anything you're going to school and we don't need a real thermometer so my first day I didn't have a thermometer I knew I felt warm uh I had this like epiphany you do have a thermometer like you know when you do organizing projects are really long in the past and then you realize that they actually helped I was like you were reorganizing all your medication and you put it in one little plastic storage bin and I knew where it was. It was a kit of stuff I'd traveled around the country with. There was like salon pop pads and like that little electric thing that you put on your muscles to make your muscles twitch stuff from when I was touring. And there was a thermometer. That was the game changer for me. I could actually know what was going on to some extent. And I think later that's what helped me get tested. So that is what started a nine day fever I lost my appetite completely. Uh, food even seemed disgusting to me. I didn't really have uh, will to drink anything. 
I couldn't sleep uh, at night. I could sleep more during the day, but at night my fever would spike and I would wake up in a, you know, sweating and just drenched. Um, I would have, I was just such fatigue. Um, it was hard to do anything. So I live with three other people, my sister-in-law, roommate, who's been a guest on the show before, and my older sister, two dogs and a cat. I mean, two cats and a dog. So it's, this is terrifying. How do I not infect everyone else? Right. I was isolated in my room for what turned out to be 21 days. I'll explain why it's so long. But my older sister, she was a hero, and she put on, you know, a mask or wrapped herself in a heavy scarf and plastic gloves, which we had thanks to my roommate. The house had already been stocked up on a lot of things. We even found some N95s in the basement from construction, which is nobody's fault that the government didn't have enough. It's, it's, well, it's the, it's literally Trump's fault. But what I'm saying is we didn't find enough to donate or anything. Don't at me. But yeah, we just had a lot of stuff like that. That was lucky. Um, she would leave me my drinks, which were like water. And she made a homemade Pedialyte, which was a game changer because I was so weak. I couldn't really, didn't want to ingest anything. So, uh, actually shout out to Ebony who was on the last episode. She said, boil some salt and sugar together. Like we found the proportions online easily and then have little flavoring packets, um, you know, like crystallite and stuff because I'm a 90s low calorie diet girl. And so we put that in there and, and by we, I mean she. And so I could, I could drink that. So that got some stuff that got was the way, main way I was getting calories was like the sugar in that little Pedialyte. So that helps because before that I was just like, nah, don't want anything. Um, it was so long. It was so scary. It was psychologically so draining, um, to go to the bathroom that there's two, but I had never had my own. Um, I had to spray down everything after myself with bleach, wear a mask, have gloves on, spray down everything, spray everything you touch. I mean, it was in itself uh, psychologically and emotionally, wait, that's the same thing. I meant physically and psychologically exhausting. So I, I recall just getting to the bathroom and just sitting there, just sitting on the toilet with my head in my hands and just waiting to have the energy to take a shower, waiting for after that to, to wipe everything down, you know, procedure, procedure. I, took a shower every day. I just want to say, so to those of you who don't have coronavirus and are nasty right now, uh, just, I'm just kidding, but it was important to me to shower every day. I'm like, I just can't, I can't leave my room. The room cannot get funky. Like that will be torture on top of torture. And, and I'm sweating through the night. So I just had to shower every day. Um, so towards, so I was able to get tested. How was I able to get tested? Um, I go, have gone to City MD Urgent Care um, in the past. I was on their email list. They said they were giving out tests, and I was like, "Dope." I called three one one because there is the catch twenty two of how do you go leave the house if you think you have coronavirus? Sim- you know you have the symptoms. You don't know one hundred percent you have it. 
um, but you don't want to expose people. So I called 311. New York had a travel system set up. They had car service for free to pick you up and take you to doctor's appointments for people who think they have symptoms. Um, so I called City MD. They said, we do testing. We might not test you. So I said, yeah. But I go to City MD. Um, I get a test by pure negotiation uh, and, the, and the goodwill and grace of the physician's assistant who decided to give me one. So I am sick. I'm tired. It's, I, it's very visible how long it takes for me to walk anywhere. Um, but I'm, I'm considered a mild case. Uh, they were surprised. It's so funny, the things that we, you know, I learn more from talking to people anecdotally in New York City than I do necessarily from the news. My anecdotal experience was more current than a lot of reporting. So no one knew in the beginning that this whole losing your taste and smell thing, no one, I guess China just, we didn't hear that from China. Like, but... I had a, one friend say they lost their sense of taste and smell, another one, and then I'm like, oh, this is like a major way to know if, you know, it's, it's a very unusual thing to happen, and it's like a major way to know if you have coronavirus. It didn't happen to me, but I'm saying. So I don't think this CDMD had talked to people who had fevers as long as I did or something because they were like, you had a fever for nine days? And I was like, yes. And then I whipped out my phone where on the notes I had hour by hour taking my temperature, which my brother told me to do. My brother is third-year med student at NYU, um, and I had, no, I had nothing better to do. And for something like this, there's so little you can do for yourself. So I, I, it's not like it was every hour, but every few hours. I mean, I had at least seven temperature markings a day. And then some in the night, too. When I wake up in the middle of the night, why not? I woke up. I feel like I'm on fire. Let's check this out. And so I had a log of my temperature that I could show them that I'd been sick for that long. And they, the PA said, look, these tests, we have to save them for essential workers. We don't have enough to go around for everybody. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to test you yet. I'm not sure. And I was like, Okay. So she said, first, we're going to give you the flu test. She tested me for the flu. It was negative. And I, I begged for the test. I said, look, I live with several other people. Some of them have asthma worse than I do. Some of it's going to, you know, end up in a hospitalization probably if I infect them. Please, you know, we're, you know, just, I need to, we need to know this. And she thought about it, and then she decided to test me. And I don't know what swayed her that day. I don't know what kind of literal supply chain calculation she was doing. But I begged and pleaded, and I got a test. And let me tell you, that shit was so uncomfortable. I, I've never had anyone stick anything that far up my nose. I've never had the regular flu test either. So um, I should mention I never had the flu before. So I... Again, like, I'm just not used to getting, like, totally... I have knocked out like that as an adult. Like, can't get out of bed. Most of my health problems have to do with allergies, asthma, breathing things, which, yeah, is scary for COVID. So I was never sure how that would interplay. I did, before everything got locked down, make sure I had all my asthma medication. If you are someone with intermittent or seasonal allergies, things like that, 
there's you might have been assigned a an inhaler to take every day that you don't always take. So yeah, I got that one and I started taking it morning and night like I was supposed to have been doing. So I was trying to do everything I could to I was just like, please, God, don't let the breathing part happen. And, you know, and they tell you in the PA told me at urgent care. So if you start having breathing problems, you come here. You don't I mean, sorry, don't come here. It's it'll be too late. By the time you waste time coming here, it could be too late. You have to go straight to the hospital. Like she's literally telling me you got to go straight to get intubated, you know, and that is what scared me. And that is what still scared me because we have people dying in their homes who aren't even being counted properly as COVID uh, victims because we're all here, including some of us who never even thought about their breath before because they didn't have asthma and they didn't have any awareness of things like that, trying to figure out what's bad, what's sort of bad, what's really, really bad. Whereas in countries that have their shit together, we all would have just been taken to a cute, you know, facility, quarantining in, in a isolation, in a nice, safe space. Okay, I may be exaggerating how nice it was. I mean, China at the end was just like, you have a temperature? Here, hide your kids, hide your wife. Like, they put you in a car and take you away, taking kids from their parents. They were just like, yep, you'll see them when you're not sick anymore. Bye. Like, no, yeah. So, but still, I mean, it's the fact that we don't know, right? And I, you don't even know if you have it, you know? I mean, you you can infer after a certain point in New York, but we you don't know. So my glorious test came back seven days later. Seven days later. Um, by the time it came back, I was starting to feel better. Thank God. But for some people, by the time it comes back, they have died. So I started to have the coughing part towards the end. Mine didn't last for that long. Of, of the whole time I was sick, it was a shorter proportion of the time that I was dealing with the coughing. It's interesting that it happened at the end for me. Um, I felt like there was this phlegm deep in my chest that I couldn't get out. And it, I felt, I describe it as if you've ever swam laps. And part of this may be because I do have exercise induced asthma. So I don't know if everyone experiences or not, but you, I have this, you have this feeling like your heart's about to burst, but this, it's an exhilarating feeling. It's almost like a high, I might sound cr like crazy, like the type of person that likes to like, I don't know, poke myself with needles sewing needles for the thrill or something, but it's, um, it's this exhilarating, like euphoric feeling of this tightness and this rush you get. It's probably from a lack of oxygen as I'm saying out loud. Maybe this is the reason why people, uh, choke themselves. Anyway, uh, that's how it felt. It felt like I, I, when I take a deep breath, it felt like I finished swimming laps and I have that exhilaration feeling. Now, because I am a singer and I do breath exercises and play a lot with my breath, I felt like I could like keep myself from coughing, but it, it's like I didn't have to, but the impulse was there. That's the best way I could describe it. You know, you can stop it if you're like... And I feel like, oh, it would be nice to cough, but I, it's almost like I can tell that this cough isn't going to really get to that deep phlegm sensation inside intellectually 
it will just scrape me and like hurt my insides, like scrape my throat. So I'm not going to. So the first couple days of the chest thing starting to develop, I felt like, oh, I can suppress the cough. Then it got to the point where I could not. I was coughing a lot just by talking. If I tried to talk on the phone, my mom called me to say, ask me how I am. I'm coughing in between every word. And that is the way my asthma and breathing issues always manifest with a cough. So I took my inhaler a lot. It didn't always feel like it was helping. A couple days later, you it was easier to notice, like, taking my inhaler was helping. The coughing kind of subsided. And then finally, my fever broke. It was a miracle. Uh, and by my fever breaking, I mean, first it was like 100. But when you've been at, like, 102.5, it's 100 feels low. So... I'll never forget the feeling of my fever breaking and just being like, wow, this is what normal feels like. I'm going to sleep and I'm not burning up and having fever dreams. And then you still are like, oh, I might come back because that's what I've been told. And then it didn't. And then it didn't. And then I found out that the most uh, conservative research... I mean, I don't even know if conservative is the word. It's factual research that people were found to be positive for much longer than this whole 14-day thing. So what I was told, and the information varies so much from source to source, we'll get to all that fuckery, but I was told three days, uh, I was told after 72 hours afebrile, which means without a fever, I didn't know that word, then add eight days onto that, then you can come out of isolation. So because it took so long for me to not have a fever, that ended up for me being a whole nother week almost. So I spent about 21 days, I think 22 days in isolation in my bedroom, not being able to do anything for myself, every meal being set outside my door. Um, it was a mess. So a huge thank you to my older sister, who was a big hero for taking care of me. No one else in my house got sick, which is amazing. And I was very lucky. I'm one of the lucky ones. And by lucky, I mean that I am exhausted by talking right now, this long. I am tired all the time. I have aches in my muscles, which I think just like got atrophied or something. Like the first time I came out of quarantine and walked around the block with my dog, that my hips hurt. Um, I, I just have this overwhelming fatigue that I wouldn't wish on anyone but Donald Trump. So, and I'm one of the mild cases. So if that sounds like something you feel like you want to go through, Keep going outside. Keep meeting people on Tinder. I see you. Okay? I mean, I say keep going outside, but now, like, we're opening up the country again, which... (laughs) (sighs) That's my personal experience. Um, So leaving my room was great. So now I'm in regular quarantine. I have done things like go to the corner store and go to the liquor store with a mask on. (laughs) I walk the dog outside. Um, I am, you know, I'm still extremely 
there's still the whole process for like scrubbing down everything when you get inside the house. But I personally don't feel like I am at risk of getting sick, even though that might not 100% be true. That's how I choose to see it. But I don't want to bring anything indoors. But still, it's just lovely. I cannot describe to you psychologically the difference between being in your room all the time, all day, and being able to leave it and then decide, I want to go to my room. It's just, I was just so happy. I was like, oh, okay. So some things are just depressing and that's just the way it is. Because I was in isolation trying to like get my mind right and get my mood better. And I did okay. Like I had some fun times with myself. We watched some Turkish Netflix series. We started practicing foreign languages. Um, You know, I read books from my childhood over again to see if they were really that good. And they were. And some of them are a little bit scandalous, actually. Uh, But it's it's kind of a drag, y'all. And I'm an extrovert. Uh, So it's great being out. I it's a big change. I am not having the stir craziness that everyone else might be having right now because it's just a blessing to not be isolated in one room still. So that's that's where I am. I'm getting better every day, trying to learn how to be kind to myself, uh, resting when I need to rest because it's just more than I would think. And I can just have this overwhelming like brain fog and... It feels like some someone is coming and like shutting my eyes with their fingers. Like I'm just like, oh man, I wanted to keep doing what I was doing, but I can't right now. I just can't. Like the tank just goes to empty. Um, I don't know when that will end. You know, I was lying in my room with a fever, freaking out that that when Trump would get on TV and say he was going to open up the country for Easter, I was like, is the whole economy going to start? And I'm literally going to be in bed. There, there just doesn't seem to be, I think we talk about people going to the hospital and coming out, or we talk about people going to the hospital and dying, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm saying that we, we are setting up a kind of extreme between like very ill and not ill at all, and there doesn't seem to be any acknowledgement. There's just like going to be a large portion of the population that never got tested, that never got to know if they were tested, if they had COVID, but sort of know because they just feel shitty right now, and the shittiness can last for over a month. Um, so when we talk about people getting ready to go back to work and stuff, it's just insane to me. Like, I have... Of the people I know that have all the same symptoms that I did, I'm the only one that got a test. I can think of 7, 8, 10, 12, 15 friends, like actual friends, not someone I saw on Facebook, who, and this is, this is all in New York State. This is all in New York State. No, two and two in Chicago, who all had symptoms like this and didn't get a test, so kind of just... I mean, how do you even know what to really do for yourself if you don't know what you have? It's not a fair position for us to be in psychologically. It's all a mess. So I'm going to get to that a little bit later in the show. I will share just some highlights of what's been going on politically. I'm going to do what I can. Um, I have a lot of thoughts, but they make me upset, they make me sad, they make me angry, and I just don't know, I don't have the stamina like normal, but yeah. 
in any case, thank you for welcoming me back on your airwaves. And I hope that you didn't unsubscribe. (laughs) And uh, thank you for listening. And I will be right back. We know you can't go out to the store right now. So here's a word from one of our online sponsors. Do you want to receive things in the mail? Do you pretty much have everything you need already and live a life rich in material goods? Do you have no real need for a stranger who doesn't know you to curate a box of miniature versions of things you'd most likely use the full-size version of anyway? Do you just want to feel relevant? You need a monthly subscription to Box. This highly nonspecific random box will come to your home or office once a month. It's of the highest quality cardboard craftsmanship and has a punchy label. Everyone will be jealous you have the disposable income and common sense to subscribe to a heavy box. What's inside? Doesn't matter. Maybe nothing. But now you have a box. Isn't life better when you have a box to look forward to? Sorry, excuse me. I think my box is here. Okay, so that was the overview of the illness, but a bit about, I guess, zooming out and talking about things we've learned and and whatnot. Um, so I touched on, lightly on, being alone, learning to be okay with one's own company, learning how to amuse oneself and... Do what you like to do, what you want to do, what's you going to make, make you feel good. Patience. Still learning patience. I have no idea when I'm going to start feeling good again. It's a very disempowering feeling. But trying to be kind to myself, take naps when I need to. Naps are anathema to, like, productive, crazy people. So, like, it's not something I used to like to do. Um, but just really changing my outlook on stuff. You know, um, let's say this, a lot of your food looks nasty online. I'm just saying it. Um, you guys share a lot of what you're doing during quarantine and some of the things that you cook, I wouldn't eat if the entire food supply chain was shut down and, It was between me chewing on my own fingernails or eating what you made. I wouldn't eat it. I don't mean you guys who listen to the podcast. I mean, in general, on social media. I don't know who told you. Like, when you look at food blogs and appetizing stuff, and when you look at your food, do you see the same thing? Okay. Those are just petty thoughts that I have. And I'm I'm putting that in there because... I want you to know that I've done a lot of work on myself, but nobody's perfect. And while I had peace and loving thoughts for the world and for humanity, I also wanted to know why you were sharing your nasty food. That I, that's a real thing. Uh, what else happened? Uh, and generally, and generally, culturally, we have a problem. We have a problem that I'm going to get into after the political stuff more. But this whole productivity thing is grossing me out. I used to worship at that well. It was the only way I knew how to live. And it smacked me in the face when I got sick. 
even before when the lockdown was happening that I'm very, I was very out of touch with things that I actually like to do for fun and not for some productivity career related reason. And that's why I even had to take a break from this. Now you can tell when you're listening that it's still hard for me to talk without, you know, my breath sounds shallow. However, I wanted to be able to come back and do the podcast because I like doing the podcast and not feel like, oh, if I didn't do enough promoting of it this week, if I didn't do this in exactly the right way to grow my listenership, there's no point and blah, blah, blah. Like, I just like it. You know, if one of my friends texts me and says, this made me laugh while we're far apart, that can be enough. And I am also have a lot to say, and I just can't be fighting with people on Twitter all the time. Well, some of the time, not all the time. So it's a nice outlet for me. And, you know, when I sat down today, I started to have fun telling you guys about what happened to me. And I was like, okay, you can't breathe all the way, but you can do this. So that's one thing. Boom. Other stuff I'm seeing, I don't have kids, but I look at people who have Play-Doh and making these fun crafts for their kids. And I understand that there's this whole other corner of the internet that's like mom shaming right now. Like... If you can't come up with this whole curriculum that's like nine times as involved and engaged as the shit your kid did at school anyway, then you're a bad mom. We need to cut that out too. Again, we're all doing what we can right now. I've always said that kids read, when I was a kid, I read the same books over and over again. I don't want to, you know, step out of line, but I don't see why your child has to have a tablet or anything. Like give them a book or a cardboard box and let them sit in the corner. I know they're going to drive you crazy. They're running around, but please like no moms. And I hate, you know, the gender norms that mean this isn't even targeted towards dads, but I will include dads too. Moms and dads should not feel like they're supposed to be going above and beyond what was happening before. Uh, Our brains are not going to turn to mush if we like chill out for like a month and a half. And I feel bad for that pressure too. But, uh, I don't have the direct kind of mommy pressure. I have artist pressure, which I'll get into. However, I was looking at like ads that were sent to me and ads that are on TV now of parents playing with their kids and doing Play-Doh and stuff. And I'm like, why don't I have Play-Doh? Who told me that when I get to be a certain age, I don't get to do anything just because I want to do it anymore. But we're taught that. We don't have time. And for me, even if I did have some time, I would just probably tell myself, Every second of the day was scheduled towards something that has to do with some sort of externally measurable output. But I find myself in this time of quiet and introspection, wishing I had Play-Doh, clay, could just make figurines. I wish I had a proper sketchbook and pastels and oil paints and a canvas, because when I was like nine, I used to paint with oil paints in a canvas. My parents bought them for me because I was showing interest in all this impressionist stuff. And I would do my little, um, like, replications of certain, like, impressionist paintings and paint the girls black and basically put myself in the picture. And uh, it, it was so much fun. And I wasn't like, I'm going to sell this. I just loved it. I love colors. And, I, and I'm and i still the person that, you know, makes a physical card for my family members and draws, draws stuff. I'm the drawer. But I don't have any supplies in my house to support this thing that in my heart I really have always liked. 
And then I realized in going to the liquor store that there was an art supply store right by there that's closed now that I never have paid attention to. And I've lived in this neighborhood now since um, July. So there's something to be said for that or that, you know, video games. I took out video games. Uh, My sister-in-law is a gamer and she had this Nintendo classic. This shit has all the games from when I was a kid, but also like from when I was uh, too young to play. And I would just watch my older cousin play. Like I'm like Super Mario 3 Donkey Kong era. There's, but they have stuff on there like Contra, like arcade games that I was too young to play in person. So much fun. And they're like, oh, wow, you're good at this. Are you a gamer? I'm like, no, not in the sense of like knowing actual shit, but I've always liked video games. And I never like bought myself one or had it because I was just like, you don't have time to be doing this. You need to be doing something productive. Um, So what does that leave to blow off steam, right? Like, no wonder I fucking, no wonder we all emotionally eat, right? Like, where are the fun things that we actually like to do that, that aren't there anyway? You know, like food is something you do anyway. So I would just like to encourage, especially artists, because I am one and I want to talk to us. So if you're not in the artist corner of the internet, it's wild, y'all. It's wild. Like, the, obviously, a lot of us are extroverts anyway. The going live, the everyday, it's just... I don't want to, I have my own issues that I'm working out right now. So I don't want to come for anyone that likes to share everything, but I just sometimes want to ask, do you really like it or do you feel compelled to? And that's, that's my struggle. It's some other people's struggle. It's not everybody's struggle, but it's just a lot. It's a lot. It is a lot of stimulus. It's a lot. And if you were to spend a lot of time online, you would just feel like, there's a way in which you could feel like no one is actually sick. So I just want to be there for the people who, again, are sick physically with COVID, are sick mentally with COVID, are sick psychologically with fear over COVID, are sick from something else. Like, you don't have to do more than usual right now. You should be doing less than usual because if, if I mean, that the bar would be less than usual. If you deal with stuff by exerting yourself a lot, going into overdrive, that's cool. Just make sure you're in touch with your actual emotions because American culture is sick and unhealthy. We don't have public health. We don't have mental health, okay? That's how you have the president on TV talking about a pandemic that is more contagious than any other virus that we've seen, more transmissible. Let me not sound like Trump. I don't know if it's more transmissible than every other virus, but I know Ebola, which is, like, scarier on its face. You can't just get it from, like, shaking hands. Um, HIV, you can't get from just coughing on people. I mean, it is very uniquely awful and debilitating how transmissible coronavirus is. And we have this bitch on TV talking about we don't want the cure to be worse than the disease and stuff like that. People are going to kill themselves because they lost their jobs. To me, that sounds like a mental health crisis. I think we as a country should be in a place where something is going to kill us, like actually kill us, 
because it is a virus, and we can take the appropriate measures to stay at home and stop working without suggesting that a bunch of people are going to kill themselves if they don't work. I say this as someone privileged to follow my dream, have a college degree, uh, you know, avoid monotonous manual labor if I want to, even though, you know, I might get paid the same as a factory job, you know, working in a restaurant or something like that. My point is that I was under the impression that most of us didn't like our jobs. Similarly to how I was under the impression that most of us don't like health insurance and couldn't understand why that was being pushed is like, people don't want to lose their health insurance. Like, they don't, like, it's just, it's just what's there. We didn't ask for it to be this way. So I just, I, I cannot reconcile. It does not sit right with me that the solution to, the only solution to mental health and not suicide is that everybody has to go back to the same jobs that they kicked them, killed themselves at that didn't pay them enough anyway. Like I understand that it is unfeasible to tell people just go home and don't work and not have a backup. We are supposed to have a backup because we are supposed to be a first world country. However, it is in this exact moment that all of the bullshit and bootstrapping and manifest destiny and wild, wild west and, uh, you know, people looking for gold and exodusters and just America, Americana is falling apart. It's, it's, it's a myth. It's always been a myth. Um, and you know, people of color, people who've been in certain fringes of society know that now is the time for a lot of other people to get that too. Um, is it, it's going especially worse than it has to because we have also found out that uh, reality TV stars aren't the best leaders and that there actually are things that go on in government that involve like collaboration with other people and just like understanding concepts, just, I don't know, simple concepts. So that's, you know, that's, that's neither here nor there, but the basic structure was always shitty, you know, and so the Great Depression brought the New Deal and the reason that we have Medicaid and other things that are socialists, but, you know, white people of a certain MAGA ilk don't consider socialists because they use it. And so we can only hope that after this we will have a revolution of sorts uh, where we realize that we never invested in public health at all. We realize that... Now, we, I mean, it's not going to be the people who are benefiting, so it's going to have to be, uh, it's going to have to be an interesting moment in which the whole, you know, the America is built on caste systems, black people being at the bottom, poor white people being taught to strongly identify with rich white people that don't give a fuck about them and talk shit about them too, um, but, you know, buying into the idea that they can be like Donald Trump one day, and so we have to see if these people realize that the government doesn't care about them and are ready for some change too. Because right now, what I see is a lot of them getting coerced into some sort of human sacrifice. Literally on Fox News, experts... <laughs> Did I just say the word experts? No one that I, no one that I am thinking of as an expert in anything, that includes Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil, um, are telling people that we have to go back to work, and if we lose some lives, it's okay. So that's the Republican Party line right now. 
I'm going to go into detail case by case, but ask yourself why these billionaires and millionaires are freaking out about not working when you know that they have savings and stocks to last them for the rest of their lives, many of them, because you're not earning them more money and you're not earning their friends more money. They don't give a shit about you. You know, Ivanka Trump is on Twitter with her Marilyn Monroe voice. My father has enacted legislation that is blah, blah. This bitch told everyone to stay at home, and then she went to a golf resort of her dad's. She traveled for it to it for Passover, where, you know, their staff... I mean, also, so that's spending White House money to go... Uh, spend money at a business of her dad, including taking this, the Secret Service there, everything else. But also, bitch, why is your holiday more important than the rest of ours? It defies logic. I don't, I don't get a... First of all, I just don't get... Y'all act like you never like went to college or went on a tr- went to overnight camp or... Like, you really can't be with your family for this one holiday. It's sad because of the circumstances, and I get you miss people. But the circumstances are sadder than not being together now. The circumstances are that you could take an infection to them that will kill them. So I don't get it. And this bitch, Ivanka Trump, lives with her family. So you really had to go take them and travel and go somewhere else? Okay. Even though you told us all not to. And you're the president's child. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. But... Uh, I have been away from me for a month. I hope everyone's caught up on all the lies and stuff. I can't, I I don't really need to go back. I mean, to very, you know, to encapsulate it very quickly, Donald Trump is insisting that he didn't know about coronavirus until, like, February when he shut down Oh, China, when he blocked China travel. But he didn't really block all of it because I think Americans could still come who were there. This is a lie. Um, the New York Times has released 80 emails that we could get into. I haven't read yet. I'm saving it. I literally like saved tea for myself to look forward to for later. Everyone had warned him. I could have warned him. It's This all comes down to racism to me, in my opinion, the idea that China is some faraway exotic land and that thousands of people were dying over there from, I believe, October onward, and it wouldn't affect us, I don't think that way. I'm a global citizen. I'm a child of half a child of immigrants, half immigrant, half American. Also, I just like know the viruses don't need plane tickets and you know are microscopic. So I just never really thought oh, if there's a situation over there, it'll never affect me. Like, I don't think like that. So, you know, also, I mean, there have been warned people, A, by the very fact that this amazing black doctor, who's also fine, Kismikia Jefferson, what is her last name? Kismikia Jenkins, I I forget her last name. She is the one who's in charge of the team developing the coronavirus vaccine. But as you might know, coronavirus is just a type of virus. It's a a class of viruses that have the, look like they have little uh, spikes in them that help stick into our cells and fuck our shit all up. And um, she's been working on this for years because they knew that the next 
pandemic was coming and that it would likely be a coronavirus. So this is all known information. Um, Donald Trump is a total liar. It's easily verifiable that everything he's been saying about how he wasn't given enough warning is false. He alternately says that it's not his, nothing is his fault, but then anything positive that happens, he is responsible for. A circus clown fool lion, trained lion, monkey, knows that this is impossible. You can't be not responsible for anything but responsible for the good parts. That makes no sense. So he's been having daily press conferences every day that are actually just... um, I mean, their campaign. Their campaign fodder. It's basically a rally. And the thing is, he acts like an utter, complete fool, so... People, anyone who's listening to this podcast, we don't see it as a rally. But what you have to remember is that in a really weird way, Donald Trump is a total idiot and he's also smart. He's, he can't read, right? But he's not dumb. He knows that if he repeats something over and over again, you'll be surprised how simple the human psyche can be. Like if you repeat something over and over again and create a sound clip of it and then and, and broadcast it, people start to believe the narrative. I mean, there's a fundamental barrier in which I think a lot of people still don't get that, like, politicians lie all the time, um, and people believe what they want to believe. So he makes sure to say every day on TV that he shut down China earlier than everyone, and everyone to- told him not to do it because it was xenophobic. They called me xenophobic. I don't know why he does that to the sea. It makes me want to chop him in the throat. I, I can't. I'm sorry to do it to you, but that's what he does. Um So, you know, his constituents love that. They love being told that some things politically, you know, like, oh, I'm politically incorrect, and I said to shut down China. And, you you know, he calls it a foreign virus every day, foreign virus. He he does racist dog whistles, blaming, obfuscating the truth. He yells at the press. He makes sure to yell at black women like Yamichi Elsendor, the awesome Haitian news uh, journalist for PBS. Um, He screams at people. He berates them. This is things his fans like. So I really think there has to be a point where we acknowledge that the things that make him look like a psychotic monster to us are fun to his constituents. That is America. That's where we live. But it is also the same America that, you know, lynched so many people in, what, 1969? So many black people that it was called Red Summer. Uh, you know, this is 69. There's fun songs about the summer of 69. Like, it's hard to hold these two things in your head, I feel like, sometimes, but it's very important to put it all together and synthesize it because you just go through being alternately surprised and not surprised. Now, I will say this. As skeptical as I was of government, you know, as a black person, you're not raised to, you don't, you know things are not, created to work in your favor, like the police and things like that. It's a different level when we're just letting white people die out here. Take how I felt, uh, take how I said I felt when I saw Elizabeth Warren, like disrespected, like this very accomplished, extremely supreme peak form, super Saiyan white woman, just be totally disrespected. And I was like, well, damn, there's no hope for any of us. Like, multiply that by a million and you'll have how I feel when I see them just letting white people die in these streets. Now, COVID 
disproportionately affects people of color. We knew that it would. We knew it would because people of color have been redlined into housing projects and not just literally the projects, you know, environmentally terroristic areas like Flint where the water is, well, not running at all in some places in Michigan where people have poured out toxic waste, where there's lead in the wall, so there's higher incidences of asthma. We get worse care once we get to the hospital. Um, all of these things are true. And so in some places, like Louisiana, I believe it was, 40% of the coronavirus cases are African-American, even though African-Americans are like 13% of the population. No, I think they're, they're more in Louisiana. Let me not make shit up. But it's highly disproportionate. So that is the thing that's happening that's extremely scary. And I can talk more about the economic disparity and who are essential workers and frontline workers next week because uh, my breath is running low. But this, you know, seeing the utter disorganization that has been going on in our, in the White House. The breakdown, seeing the president say, oh, we're not a post office, we're not going to send you this and send you, I mean, my job is not to find Q-tip swabs. Yes, it is, motherfucking idiot. If you need Q-tip swabs to run this test and we don't have the RNA reactive and we don't have the Q-tip swabs because the states are in a bidding war against the federal government with China to get the same supplies because you told them all to buy it, we do need you to find Q-tips. We need you to do anything and everything that you might have thought is beneath you because you are literally in charge of a country and citizens are dying. I don't understand. And Americans still think this is the best it can be. It's not. People in Germany applied for COVID help and got $5,000 later that afternoon in their checking account. There are other countries that don't understand. They just do not understand what's going on. Spain, Italy, places that also had bad responses, but look how they, res you know, in that they weren't prepared. But when they shut down their whole government, they said, oh, obviously, when they shut down their whole country, rather, they said, obviously, we have to pay the citizens because people are dying in the streets and rioting and can't buy food and you can't support your immune system if you're starving. And it's just very clear we have to give them money and no we won't make 22 million people sign up for unemployment at the same time and apply and gather their 1099s their w-2s and see what's going on with that we won't we will just give them money because they're human beings in this country it doesn't matter what their job is so that's what's happening around the world, and we can't seem to, we are so scared that we might overpay someone that only made this amount of money. And I see comments on Facebook and comments, I joined a, an unemployment uh, Facebook group. Fortunately, I found the information I needed just like for one day, needed to try get in touch with someone, and I did it. But um, I saw people in the group complaining about socialist policies. Bitch. Why are you, why is you here? Now they already got dragged as they should have, but do you, do you understand the kind of cognitive dissonance that we are under in this country? We are brainwashed and it's scary. And once you travel, read a book, you don't have to travel, you can read a book where you are. I mean, you never see things the same way. And it's just like the divide is so huge. 
And the, and one reason the divide is allowed to stay so huge, I really think goes down to like the Civil War. Like we never coalesce back together all the way as one nation. I mean, we still have bitches down there flying Confederate flags. It's a flag of like you mutinied against your country. I don't care. Your grandpa is not brave. He was a criminal, actually. Like, that's what he was. So, you know, you got your Confederate statues and your flags, and it's all, every state wants to be so independent. We never coalesce as a nation to have the same education system. We don't agree on our very basic fundamentals of our history. We're not starting in the same place. So it's it just goes so deep that you can go in this rabbit hole with it. But, I mean, I shout out to the people keeping me sane every day. Andrew Cuomo didn't think about too much. I'm not going to lie. I thought Andrew Cuomo was Chris Cuomo's dad. I know Mario Cuomo is Andrew Cuomo's dad, but I did. I did. And I don't know. They just look very far apart in age to me. Um, you know, that's all I'm going to say. I, was, I, I can't say anything else that sounds less shady than that, but... You know, I know I feel safer as a New Yorker and knowing that there's someone so extremely competent, like competent to a nerdy level, someone who he must have got excited about student government when he was a kid. I mean, his family is that's what the family does. But this is someone who knows how to use you know, the different channels and bureaucracies and different programs and combine them together and he has this team of extremely competent people that sit on that panel and when a journalist asks him what's this what says I don't have that number right now I'll get it for you I mean someone who can say when he's made a mistake he says what he doesn't know he says what he does know he knows a lot but he can say when he doesn't know something it's orgasmic like that is the reason people have started to find Andrew Cuomo attractive even though Chris Cuomo is is, hot, is extremely fine like that's obvious anyone with eyes like you know we just all have like what is it when you're stuck in the house and you're kidnapped or something like it's, he's like your guide to the outside world, and he's so different than Trump. And it's just crazy to watch like what leadership is. Like I know he's done other shitty things, and I don't really trust any of these men. And they pro- they will all sexually harass you if you were like their secretary or something. Like I don't trust middle aged white men in powerful positions. I just there's like no reason to. But I think Andrew Cuomo is so smart. I, I learned a new word today that I needed to look up. I don't know if I remember it. I was in the shower listening to the update, but it was, it was, he used it several times and I was like, okay, say less. Like I understood it from context, but I literally didn't know the word. Um, but it was just, it's just information and it's presented well. And so this opening up the country thing, it's bullshit, but at least I feel like New York somehow will be taken care of. It's going to involve a huge tete-a-tete with Cuomo and the president because he straight up said, I can't do this. The federal government needs to do this part. I love state government. I'm proud of it. That's what he says. You know, I love finding solutions for things. We do, if I can't do, if I tell you I can't do something, we can't do it and I need help. He said, I don't do China relations. I'm not a federal government. I don't do international supply chain. Like, we need testing. So I'm going to leave that there. I'm going to hit you with a few quick news articles, and then I'm going to be out. So uh, in the 
effort to obtain supplies, the Trump administration paid $55 million to Panthera Worldwide. P-A-N-T-H-E-R-A Worldwide. I don't know who remembers season one of American Idol, but or maybe it wasn't season one. But um, early seasons, that guy who say he said his name was Panthera, and he's saying, "You are the sweetest princess." I that's what I think about when I hear Panthera. So this company had no expertise in medical equipment. It's not something they made. Um, so he, they paid them $55 million for N95 masks at a rate of $5 a mask when companies like 3M, who that's obviously what they do, um, they were they were making the mask for like 89 cents a mask. Uh, Panthera's pres- parent company filed for bankruptcy protection last fall. One of its owners last year said it's had no employees since May 2018. 2018. This is reported in the Washington Post, citing sworn testimony. So, you know, for bankruptcy, you have to tell them what's going on. They'd had no employees since May 2018. It's no longer listed as an LLC in Virginia where its main office is after fees went unpaid. So that's just what happens because I, I just put this in here to remind you that the thing that Trump is supposed to be good at, like he's not also not like he's a bad businessman. He's not good at that. He had a family business and he applied for bankruptcy many times and also um, couldn't keep any of the businesses afloat would have to borrow money again from his dad. So it's just not cute to put highly incompetent people in charge of things. Uh, Okay, governor of Nairobi County in Kenya. I'm going to make sure it's called Nairobi County. It's funny because you just don't know how other countries are set up. So I was like, governor, huh, I wonder. Yeah, the governor of Nairobi, Kenya was blasted on social media after his plans to include small... After announcing his plans to include small bottles of Hennessy in food packs being distributed to the city's poor families. Okay, so people were mad because, I don't really know why people were mad. Like, yes, drinking a lot of alcohol is not good for your immune system. Apparently there were some rumors in Africa that uh, it cures COVID. So when he did get, when he did get criticized, he, He went on at a press conference and said, just, it's just like the, the uh, hand sanitizer has a strong alcohol content. Uh, the Hennessy, it sanitizes your throat. <laughs> Look, people take things too far. And this is really dangerous misinformation. Like, yes. I don't want to imagine someone drinking a whole bottle of something and getting alcohol poisoning, but do I want those little cute mini bottles of Hennessy? Yes. Also, Hennessy? I even, I don't know Kenyans drank Henny like that. Like African Americans, we're not even we don't even come from East Africa. We come from West Africa, but obviously, you know, the somewhere in the Great Migration, we all come from the same place because that shit is hilarious. Um, I saw a picture of the packet on Twitter. It was a lot of grains and like shelf stable things, a cute mask, bottles of hand sanitizers that this nigga put his face on. Mm-hmm. 
and four like mini bottles of Hennessy. These are not like the one dollar bottles. I don't know ounces or milliliters of how big they are, but it's not like the mini mini things at the liquor store. They're like substantial little bottles. So that was fun. Um, just Dr. Oz and <laughs> Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil. It's great to get to talk about them at one time because as much as I love and worship at the altar of Oprah, I don't know what happened between her and these white, white Turkish, well, one's from Turkey, one... Dr. Oz is actually Turkish and Dr. Phil looks like he just came from a package of farm eggs. Um, he just looks like an egg with a mustache. Uh, I don't know what happened. What, what did they do for her? What did they say to her? They sounded smart at the time. I know America likes folksy straight shooting, whatever, but could you act like you have a degree that, that you studied anything about psychology? So right after yesterday when Trump says the company the country's going to start to open up slowly. He said there's like phases and states that have certain phases reached can open up right away. Florida opened up its beaches today, even though they have 22,000 cases of coronavirus and 700 deaths. Like, okay, sounds like a plan. Uh, testing is mentioned on all of the... You know, it is it is acknowledged that widespread testing would be a thing that needs to happen. What is not acknowledged is that it's not happening and no one has it. The president says, oh, I have great companies, great relationships with these companies. Testing is not happening. Like, everyone fucking knows testing isn't happening. So this is one of the lies that's been driving me crazy. But um, anyway, uh Dr. Fauci has said in the morning, like, well, you got to do this slowly. Like, it'd be very foolhardy to open up the whole country right away. It's not going to happen like a light switch. It's going to be in phases. Dr. Oz gets on Fox and says, he gets on Sean Hannity and says that schools are a very appetizing choice for something to open up. He, those are his little words, appetizing, as if the whole way he phrased it was as if he, it was a human sacrifice test. He said, you know, the young people, and if they get sick, that's only like a 2%, you know, death rate. We're only looking at this type of death rate. <laughs> Bitch, what? And then Dr. Oz got on TV last night on, was it Laura Ingram or somebody who's faced no move on Fox? I mean, Dr. Phil talking the same thing. Dr. Phil, you're not a medical doctor. Someone, for some reason, gave you a PhD um, I wouldn't be surprised if you bribed them, but like, I was just, it was bullshit. So we have these, you know, again, talking about this, the thing I addressed earlier that people are going to be depressed at home. People are also going to be depressed if all their friends and relatives die. I don't, why aren't we teaching people how to cope with stress and grief and, and, you know, something really unusual happening, instead of teaching them that the only way they can survive is if everything continues to go on the way it was before, which also wasn't that great. But these men are clowns. I'm glad they're being exposed for the hacks they were. A lot of people, you know, watched some daytime TV like 20 years ago and haven't checked back in. So I saw a lot of comments like, Dr. Oz, I'll never respect him again. I'm like, where were you when he was selling coffee fruit 
extract for weight loss. Like where, like his peers have denounced him and said that he should be, uh, have his license taken away a long time ago. So, you know, trash people going trash. That's pretty much, that's pretty much all it is right now. So I think that's going to be it for me. Uh, I will try to be more organized next week, and I just had some thoughts to get out. I just want to officially be back, so I'm back. Love you guys. Thank you for your listenership. If you want to talk to me about anything and that you have questions about anything I mentioned during the show, resources to get around New York, um, anything I mentioned, you email kombucha at gmail.com. You can tweet me at Kalazie. You can find me on Instagram at Kalazie or Cake and Kombucha Podcast. I'm really happy. There's nothing more we can do right now than like share information with each other and try to be good to each other. And um, a lot of your food looks delicious. A lot of it also doesn't. So I'm just being petty. Don't take me any, don't, don't, t- don't pay me any mind. <laughs> Bye. Cake and Kombucha is produced and hosted by actress, writer, and singer Kilechi Aza. It features music by the talented Melanie J.B. Charles. If you like what you hear, check out MelanieJBCharles.com.